the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And I'm Lauren. Hello, Lauren! (laughs) I'm so excited to be on your podcast! We are so excited to have you. Why don't you tell the people um, why you're here and why you're so cool? Well, um, well, do you got some time? Uh, No, uh, the reason why I'm here is because John reached out to me after I did an episode on uh, my podcast, Misinformation, a trivia podcast that I co-host with my good friend Julia, and uh, I did an entire episode on Peter Gabriel, who is my favorite music artist. And so uh, John was like, do you want to come on the show and uh, talk about so? And I was like, absolutely. I have been waiting my whole life to just expound on <laughs> how incredible that album is and how much it influenced me as, as a young teen. So uh, I have I have my, I should tell you, I have my CD of so that I bought when nice. I was like 14 in my hot little hand here. Um, and I have the liner notes and the original CD and everything. My parents found it recently when they were moving. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to go and I'm excited. That is awesome. Um, if you are not listening to misinformation, you need to start is one of my favorite ones to listen oh, to. Um, I, I love, uh, I love that it, you kind of have like two things you have, like, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a lecture, but it's like a discussion at yeah. the beginning. And it's so much fun. And then the fun little trivia game at the end. Yeah, we do kind of a semi-deep dive. We, t- we alternate teaching, kind of teaching each other something interesting, whether it be like history or science or, or you know, pop culture or music or any, any number of things. And then at the end, we do a 10-question quiz that may or may not be related to the topic at hand. So it's been fun. We've been doing it for... It feels like not that long, but apparently we're coming up, we're coming up on our 200th episode here. We'll probably have that this summer. Wow. So. Congratulations on that. I know. I didn't realize that we could talk about so many things, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. be honest. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Well, as previously mentioned, we are going to be uh, doing an album review of the album So by Peter Gabriel. Now, uh, we're going to kind of start, and we'll start with Adam. Uh, Adam, what is your remembrance or experience with this album? So this album in particular, I don't. I don't remember us having or putting on rotation. Mm. What I do remember is when I had Napster and Kazaa, I absolutely made a Peter Gabriel mix. Like I did a thing where I first made a Genesis mix and then I made a Phil Collins mix and Mm -hmm. then I made a Peter Gabriel mix. And unbeknownst to myself, I had done nearly every single song from (laughs) So, um, but I had not... (laughs) done uh but i but there are a couple on here that i hadn't heard before but the album itself isn't one i i particularly remember listening to it mm. just wasn't in our rotation yeah yeah um i definitely remember the first time i bought the album was on cd mm-hmm. um it was i believe in high it was either high school or college i'm not entirely sure around where i was definitely familiar with a lot of the songs um i remember and i'll touch on this a little bit more but i actually remember seeing the sledgehammer video on mtv when mtv actually did stuff like that um and i remember after i got it 
being one being surprised at how many songs I actually recognized off the album, mm-hmm. but two, like how good everything was oh, yeah. kind of from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I should you know what it gives me great pleasure that both of you listened to Peter Gabriel in high school because <laughs> because for sure I was the only person my age who listened to who was listening to a middle aged British <laughs> musician <laughs> prog rock musician <laughs> on a regular basis at the time. So uh, yeah, I got into it because well my my. Mother was super into prog rock growing up, and so I grew up listening to, you know, well, first of all, a lot of Joni Mitchell and and that kind of thing, but a lot of Genesis. And so I was already, like, sort of familiar with Peter Gabriel on that end, but I I got into the So album through the way that a lot of people got into the So album, which is through In Your Eyes, which was like mm-hmm. that song is and was everywhere. Like it's high, it's super romantic. It's really beautiful. You know, it's in every romantic comedy you've ever seen. You know, it was in Say Anything. That was like a big deal. So, and I already was inclined to like African themed, like African mm-hmm. music inspired songs so then that was kind of like my entry point to the rest of the album and then I just wore it out I honestly just I I know even now like I don't listen to it all the time but I still know like every beat every word every (laughs) every like vocalization (laughs) I know all of it it's just it's a perfect album top to bottom as far as I'm concerned so were you a fan of uh of uh Paul Simon's Graceland yes yes um uh what was the the greatest hits album it was like one of the first cds that i bought was um the it it was the greatest hits album but i had a bunch of stuff from graceland on it but yeah yeah paul Mm -hmm. simon was definitely another one that i was super into i mean diamonds on the soles of her shoes is just a great great song Mm -hmm. and you can call me al like come on (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i made a point to memorize every beat of that song for sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> negotiations and love songs that's the name of the the album negotiations ah, okay. and love songs yeah all right so the album came or the album was released on may 19th 1986 mm-hmm. uh it was recorded at ashcombe house in swainswick somerset uh england near bath mm-hmm. i believe mm-hmm. um and was produced John, John, by peter it, it's pronounced bath <laughs> it's england it's england it's, pronounced, it's a bath there's an invisible h in there i don't, guess yeah. don't 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 be pretentious <laughs> don't Adam, be have me. you been to ba- have you been to bath i have your been, mom's been to bath i've been to bath I, actually she has yeah and you know this yeah and i also have been to bath mm-hmm. it's a beautiful city it's so gorgeous it is it is gorgeous mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, but <laughs> thanks for that interruption, Adam. Uh, the album was produced by Peter Gabriel and Daniel Lenoir. I'm not actually sure how to say his name. Yeah, I think it's Lenoir. It looks like Lenoir. Mm-hmm. He's he's Canadian from Quebec. I'm gonna assume Lenoir. Mm-hmm. Um, who's produced a a number of people from Neil Young to Brian Eno to uh, Scott Weiland to even Bob oh, Dylan. Wow. So one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was this was Peter Gabriel's first solo album with an actual, like, title. Yes. It was actual name. His first four albums were all just called Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Now, people kind of colloquially call them different titles, but they're each single, every single one of them was just Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel, and that's it. That was kind of ridiculous. Um, and basically, he just kind of, you know, got pressure 
uh, label pressure to uh, put some put a name on it, and mm-hmm. so he's like, yeah, "Fuck it." So, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what it was. Um, this album went five times platinum. Yeah, and it was also nominated for a Grammy Award, uh, or nominated for a Grammy Award for Album of the Year in 1987, but it lost out to Paul Simon's Graceland. <gasps> That's what actually beat it this year. Um, And one thing I thought was interesting, I didn't know if we're going to mention it come uh, in your eyes or not, but so the vinyl, when this album came out, the actual vinyl had in your eyes in the middle of the track. It was. uh, I was going to mention that, but go ahead. Yeah, it was uh, was placed fifth, but Peter Gabriel always wanted it at the end. Mm -hmm. And so when it came out on CD, it was able to shift to the end, but they had it in the middle. Because of the prominent bass line meant it had to be placed earlier on the vinyl for there was room for the stylus to vibrate properly. Yeah. Which I had no idea was a thing for records as to like placement of songs being you know affected by the actual instrumentation and things like that. Um, and that's also why I just like CDs better. Uh, <laughs> it's just I, I am I I am not one of those people who thinks vinyl is the only way to listen correctly, mm-hmm. and that just proved it right there because the <laughs> artist wanted to push it at a certain spot, mm-hmm. and if he can't do that for technical reasons, then that shows an issue with the format. So that's yeah. my two cents. Yeah. Uh, to add on to the idea of him uh, naming his albums, he wanted uh, he thought that. Um, titles on albums like words on an album looked like an ad and he didn't like the way that looked he wanted it to look like art especially on vinyl because you know it's like a large format he wanted it to be like a photo so when the when the record label told him like no you have like you've already done four albums with just that's just your name we're gonna need a title for this he chose so because he liked not because it meant anything, but because he liked the curve of the S next to the lowercase O. And he liked two letters because it gave more room for the photo. And so he said the bigger the bigger your title is, the more you get like technically top billing. So he could make the so big and still have enough room for a photo. And still it's like eye-catching because it's just two letters and it's big. So that was kind of his idea behind it. And it kept going because he also did Up and Us. And those are two other two, like, nonsensical, they don't mean anything, two-letter album titles. Very cool. Uh, for uh, the purposes of this, we are actually going to follow the CD track okay. listing. Okay. All right. I will copy and paste. I will move my notes. All right. Personnel on this album is extensive. Uh, he oh, used yeah. a lot of studio guys. There are some... Uh, people on specific tracks that I'm going to kind of wait to mention until we get to those tracks. Uh, But there is one guy who I will mention uh, who was on several tracks, and that was his bass player, Tony Levin. I had no idea Tony Levin played bass on this album. Mm. I'm a huge Tony Levin fan. He's incredible and uh, went to Eastman School in Rochester, New York. He has a Rochester Clinic, (laughs) Rochester Connection. Nice. He's incredible. Um, uh, I am a huge fan of him from his time with King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a song on, on I cannot remember the name of the album, but it's from like 81 or 82, called, and the song is called Waiting Man.
quite possibly one of my favorite King Crimson songs of all time. He's also known for playing uh, a, an instrument called a Chapman stick, which oh, is yeah. like a bass and a guitar all together, and you do two-hand tapping on it. So you don't actually strum it, per se. You two-hand tap it, it's, and it's held vertically mm-hmm. instead of horizontally. Yeah, I do a lot of tapping on a stick, but it doesn't make a musical sound. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> Hey-o! Hey-o! <laughs> uh... Uh, you know what? I'm gonna. That was my penis, John. I, penis <laughs> yes, I know. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna make a joke about uh, uh, bringing your wife into this, and I decided yeah. to be the classier person and not <laughs> yes. do that. You are the classier person between us. That has always been the case. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, uh, I am ready to dive into the album, Adam, Lauren. Let's do it. All right. So let's do it. Sorry, <laughs> I'm game. That was horrible. Yeah, it was. That uh, was not even funny. And we're going to start off with a song that I believe came from a dream Mm. that he had, and that is called Red Rain. I am standing up at the water's edge in my dream. Uh, this song, I'm going to keep saying this, but this song rules. <laughs> like as a super fan, this, you probably shouldn't have had me on the show because I am, I am severely biased when it comes to this album. But the cool thing about Red Rain is that it was, it was inspired by a dream. He had this idea of like blood flowing and, and this, like the connection of blood and veins and all of this stuff. So he started thinking about it as, as, as rain, as, as like red rain that's flowing into the cracks of like a desert and so in the in the process of making the song um he wanted the uh he wanted the beginning of the song to sound like the end of a song so when you listen to a song a lot of times you know it's you know three verses a bridge and you know four choruses or whatever mm-hmm. so usually the last chorus is like the crescendo chorus you know you're going out on a high note and he really wanted to come out in the song, beginning of the album, just straight out of the gate, just loud and intense, like a storm, like when there is a storm coming and all of a sudden the the skies open up and it starts pouring rain right off the gate. It does sound musically like a storm, like the sky just opened up. And that's what I really Mm. love about it. And this is something that, you know, he was doing a lot of thinking about how this would be interpreted how people would be listening to this you know what this atmosphere that he was trying to create with this song not only with lyrics but also with the music and it's just a phenomenal song it's so beautiful and um and then at the and then the end of the song sounds like the beginning of a song where it just kind of quietly peters out as though you Mm -hmm. are you know building up to the crescendo end of the song so it's it's great it's great it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, historically, apparently, and I was not aware of this, and I, I also not really sure how I feel about this. Uh, Peter Gabriel hates symbols. Yes, he hates symbols. Yeah, he hates symbols, and well, so doesn't like to use them. Huh. And uh, so for this album, uh, Daniel Lenoir finally said, "Look, can, can we get some hi hat? Can, <laughs> can we get something?" And so uh, he apparently, when he was writing this song, he used like a little drum machine that just had a, a constant, you know, tick tick sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the actual recording, and cr- and credited on just playing the hi hat, is Stuart Copeland from the Police. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. very cool. Which makes total sense when you listen to any of the Police albums because Stuart Copeland is a master at hi hat rhythms, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think it was a, a great choice. And at, even not knowing it until recently, once you hear it, you're like, oh, that totally makes sense. I can totally hear it. I can totally see why they would go to Stuart Copeland for, we need a hi-hat. We need you to do it. Yeah, the best hi-hat player <laughs> available. <laughs> and it is, it's it's remarkably complex. Like, it's a really, I don't, I don't know a lot mm-hmm. about, like, the technicalities of music, but the, the other great thing about all of the songs on this album, especially Red Rain, is that there are so many incredible complex layers to the song that provide this atmosphere that is just so... Uh, just kind of it enrobes you you know it just kind of yeah. surrounds you yeah it's a great way to put this song um yeah it hit number three on the billboard mainstream rock chart um yeah i'm absolutely a fan of this song as mm-hmm. well it's just the way you said it you kind of it does you do kind of get that that feeling of the skies opening up mm-hmm. and you, you kind of you know once you hear about the dream i read about that as well it's just like wow this does make sense it fits really well i mean you get a lot of that that synth and just that that prog rock sound mm-hmm. with this whole album obviously but it starts off really well with it um and john we had mentioned this before in our robocop episode way back um there's uh, a scene where um alex murphy or peter weller goes through like a drug warehouse and he's like shooting people and just kind of walking through it like crazy and it's almost honestly when you watch it it's looked like he's almost doing a dance mm. well that partly is is because during the filming uh Peter Weller would listen to Red Rain as he's doing oh, it, and it and it would and it kind of flowed while uh, while he was shooting that scene. So it was really really kind of cool. So that's a special special connection of Peter Gabriel and um, and Peter Weller. I had no idea. That is so cool. I'm gonna have to watch RoboCop again and see oh. if I can if I can parse that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll do like um but, like a Dark Side of the Moon uh, exactly yeah, like Wizard yeah. of Oz thing where I'll be like yeah. shh I've got I gotta yeah. queue it up I gotta queue it up sync it up. Yep. <laughs> Dude, Red Rain and <laughs> Robocop totally line up. Exactly. Totally and it fits actually up. even well because he's just blasting people in this warehouse and there's like their blood is flowing everywhere, <laughs> much like the Red Rain exactly. coming down on me. Oh my God, you're touching on something. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next song, which is quite possibly the one that brought people to the album. Absolutely. It's probably the best, might be the most well-known. It's debatable. Um, it's definitely the one that hooked me in, and that is Sledgehammer. You could have a big dipper Going up and down, all around the bends You could have a bumper car bumping There's amusement never ends I wanna Why don't you call my name? Why 
great song. Like the horns on that song are fantastic. There's a, a and Peter Gabriel was grow, growing up. He had a he was a big fan of R and B and soul music, and so there's mm-hmm. this this very R and B soul kind of gospel esque quality to this song. Um, there's a whole you know choir in the background. There's kind of a call and response quality to it. There's those beautiful horns. It's very like Memphis sounding. Um, and it's just fun. And it's also like a very highly sexual song. <laughs> if you listen to the <laughs> lyrics, like sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, like you're old enough to be my father, please. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. I should have saved my penis joke while we were talking. Yeah. Sledgehammer. Yeah. I mean, sledgehammer is appropriate for it. Exactly. Well, I mean, the, the pounding visuals, <laughs> uh, other innuendos, um, some of the lyrics, show me around your fruitcakes because I will be your honeybee. Yep. Open up your fruitcakes. Where the fruit is as sweet as can be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of stuff like even the even the music video starts off with sperm. Yes. So it's like <laughs> this is yeah totally really really not sex. subtle. No. And and if you if you watch him sing this song live and he still does this today he does this weird two fisted <laughs> double <laughs> motion towards himself <laughs> as he's singing it like it's it's the weirdest thing i don't know if he was trying to start like a, a motion or a dance craze to go along with it but it's just so awkward yeah like the thing that you have to know about peter gabriel especially when you watch him performing live or even a lot of times in his music videos he's a weird dude like he is not like he is not sexy he is not cool mm-hmm. and i think that he recognizes that to a certain extent like he has a good sense of humor about himself but ultimately he has been like highly theatrical his entire career. He used to shave his hairline right. back. He used to wear women's clothes on stage. He would like muck up his eyes with makeup and look like a crazy person. He would change his voice while he was singing. Like his whole thing was like high camp, like weirdness. And mm-hmm. I can appreciate that because I'm a weird gal. So I was like, <laughs> I felt, but it's a level of like, like allowing yourself to be embarrassing. Like like he mm-hmm. not only like double fists, like points at himself, but he also like hip thrusts at the same time. <laughs> and this white British man cannot dance to save his life, but he just like does it. He just has no, he has no qualms. So there's a, there's a, I remember seeing uh, watch cause I definitely watched the music video for this as well. Um, there's this one part part where he's kind of surrounded by the, the, the gospel singers around him mm-hmm. and he's kind of dancing in the center and you can just tell, <laughs> even though they have it like the stop motion, he looked to it. He's the way he's dancing is just so bad. White guy dance. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just sad. like the weird, like half twist, like yes. thing. Mm. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to kind of nerd out a little Please. bit. Um, I play, uh, I'm, I'm a drummer and I've mentioned this before, but I also secondary, I'm a bass player. Mm. I played bass a lot in college and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, like trying to learn this song by ear and like really? you get these really cool low notes mm-hmm. and I can definitely tell right off the bat that Tony Levin's playing a fretless because um, fretless just has this really cool tone to it that no other bass has. And I learned it, and then only did only to find out that later that Tony Levin actually used what's called an octaver okay. on it. So he actually played it up high, and then it was doubled down an octave oh. through the processing. So all the cool low note sounds that you hear is actually the process of, of through the pedal that he was using. Oh, my gosh. A couple other fun facts about it. So it, it starts off with this thing called a synthesized shakuhachi mm-hmm. flute. Yeah, it's a um, Japanese flute. Very cool. 
so this was uh, hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was his biggest hit, at least biggest chartist hit, biggest charting hit. Um, so a lot of people know him from that. Uh, the music video was directed by Steven Johnson, who also directed uh, multiple episodes of Pee-wee's Playhouse mm-hmm. and Dire Straits' Walk of Life music video. Mm. The uh, claymation, pixelization, and stop-motion animation was all done by Ardman Animations, who most people know from Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then other really cool things about the uh, the music video, um, Gabriel... Uh, won multiple awards at the 1987 MTV Video Music Award. He actually took home nine awards for the video, wow. Sledgehammer video, which is still a record for the most MTV Moonmen uh, that uh, wins in one night. Wow. So it wow. wins the most. And also, Sledgehammer is the most played video in the history of MTV. Get out. Oh, I didn't know that. No. That's really cool. That's what Wikipedia said, <laughs> and I trust it. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. It was huge. I mean, that... Yeah. And also they did all of that animation in camera. So it took them mm-hmm. two weeks and he would just like, I mean, God bless him. Yeah. You know, they'd have to paint his face. <laughs> they would have to like have him make like the vowel sounds, like each of the mm-hmm. shapes of his mouth to lip sync to the the song. And he and they're doing this like in camera. So it was like, hold, yeah. click. Okay, we're going to change now. You know, yeah. and like, you know, at one point he's, you know, riding a roller coaster and his hair is like flying all over the place. And so they had to like gel his hair to make it look like yeah. it's kind of flowing in the wind. It's crazy. I uh, I, I recently watched a uh, documentary on Amazon Prime that, uh, Lauren, you turned me on to yes. when you mentioned it in your episode. And it is so good because it goes over the whole album and each song and all that stuff. And my favorite part about that, the video was the guy who had to do the stop motion chicken had to be like gloved and masked and stuff. Cause these raw chickens were sitting under lights for like three or four days and out to, to the elements. Yeah. It's disgusting. But the, I remember being a kid and the chickens being my favorite part yeah. of the whole video. The, the dancing chickens. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I could talk about Sledgehammer all day and how much I really, really love the song, but we probably should move on. Unfortunately. Probably. Unfortunately. Uh, and that's going to take us to a duet song mm-hmm. that he did with Kate Bush called Don't Give Up. In this proud land we grew up strong. We were wanted all along. I was taught to fight, taught to I never thought I could fail No fight left or so it seems I am a man whose dreams have all deserted I've changed my face, I've changed my name But no one wants you when you lose Um, again, this is a fantastic song. <laughs> um, so Don't Give Up is is um, kind of based on uh, Dorothy Lang photos of the Dust Bowl and Great Depression. So mm. Gabriel was kind of looking at these photos and thinking about like what he wanted to write something akin to a country Western song. He wanted something that had a story. So this idea of, you know, a man who has to go to work or he lost his job and his family is is struggling and he feels like as the man he has to he has to you know be the man of the family and he's 
and he's not and he's failing and so he he wants to give up and he's feeling this pain and then in the chorus it's Kate Bush as the, as the wife character the partner character who's singing you know don't give up you still have friends you still have us so it's and originally apparently he wanted Dolly Parton to sing the the women's mm-hmm. part which is that would have made it like a completely different song but yeah uh Kate Bush did an incredible job. And again, Kate Bush is also kind of a weirdo. Like she's a prog rock, you know, you know, doyen. And she has that very like affected high, like warbly quality to her voice, but it somehow it works. And the music video is the two of them embracing each other. And it's just, it's a very like lovely song about family. Once I heard that about Dolly Parton, I tried to imagine her voice in that song, and I just can't. They would, it, it, they would have had to do, do something to change the sound of it because it, you know, it, it's first of all the song. If anything, Peter Gabriel has a tone. Yes, absolutely. And you can immediately tell. You can immediately tell, and her voice works well with mm-hmm, his tone. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Dolly Parton would have worked well with his tone. Yeah. Something would have had to change there. Yeah, yeah. I think I would, I would agree with that for sure. Uh, I had to look up what doyen meant. Um, <laughs> but I learned a new mo- new word. So it's thank a great you so word. Much. You're See, welcome. Th- that's the kind of thing you would learn if you listened to misinformation. <laughs> Honestly, oh, I think woo. this is the first time I have recorded my voice saying the word doyen. So don't feel bad. <laughs> it was the first thing that popped into my head. That's great. Great word. Um, yeah, this is a, a definitely an interesting song. Very solemn sound yeah. to it to me, uh, but it's still very pretty. Um, I like it. I, if I had to place it, I would put it on probably my, my bottom half okay. of favorites for the album. Mm-hmm. But that's also from an album that I'm quite enjoying. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate Bush is a is is an acquired musical taste for sure. <laughs> I did not immediately love Kate Bush when I started listening to to prog rock, but she has definitely grown on me. Um, running up that hill is. I mean, I could listen to that all day long. So, (laughs) cool. All right, let's move on to the next song, which is called "That Voice Again." again um another one of again another one of my favorite songs on the album but um i i would say that this is the spiritual successor to red rain um it has i believe yeah the same the same kind of uh crescendo quality to it it has a little bit of like that rainness but it's um it's an epic song and Mm -hmm. it's it's really i feel like it's really peter gabriel kind of really kind of cutting loose vocally and and taking that on and it's I mean it's a great song it's a I mean the whole the whole album is kind of based around you know psychology and like internal struggles and and that kind of thing but also seeing a silver lining to this stuff and uh yeah I I feel like this that voice again is really underrated you don't you don't hear it a lot just kind of like in the world 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it doesn't come up as one of his like greatest songs. I think because maybe it's too similar to Red Rain, but that's a, that's just like my personal theory. Um, but I, I love it. Lauren stole all of my notes. Oh, like sorry. That. I have under, <laughs> underrated. Uh, not enough people know about it. Yeah. it uh, talks about internal struggle. Like all that stuff. Is, you know, I'm just like, what the hell? Did you steal my notes? I'm sorry. Uh, the only thing that I had that she didn't mention was it does up the tempo from um, Don't Give Up a Little yeah. Bit, which I appreciated. Um, kind of, you know, flow for an album is important to me. Uh, and, this, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think this one, it, not enough people. You're right. Not enough people know about it. But this is a fantastic Peter Gabriel mm-hmm, song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was definitely one that uh, once I went back and re-listened to the album as a whole, got to this song, I looked at the title, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna know this song, yeah. and then I got into it, I'm like, oh, oh, somewhere in the periphery of my mm-hmm. mind, I definitely remembered mm-hmm. listening to this song, and yeah, I can, you know what, Peter Gamerol does not write short songs, no. <laughs> nope, <laughs> um, but I don't ever feel bored no. listening to them. Yeah, they're very so you, complex. There's a lot going on. Um, I don't really have too much to add because you guys kind of hit all all the major stuff. It's it's a great song to listen to. Um, yeah, I'd put it. I'd definitely put it in my top half. Mm. I think. Good. Yeah. Cool. I mean, they're all yeah, in my cool. top half. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next song called Mercy Street. Mm. So and <laughs> I, I just I'm You're gonna get sledgehammery kind of sounds I'm over there. Just gonna get, <laughs> I'm just gonna get more and more like enthusiastic about this as we keep going. But Mercy Street is a beautiful song. It's got a, it like the t- like you said like the tempo just kind of like comes down. It's a very quiet song. Um, mm. there's a wonderful Tony Levin bass line in that song that I'm sure you're going to talk about, John. Uh, and it's based on the poetry of Anne Sexton, um, who was a, a poet who was, uh, um, who was, uh, she was a woman who had a lot of, a lot of mental health issues. She had a lot of troubling childhood issues. Her poetry was absolutely beautiful. And unfortunately she, um, she committed suicide. Um, and so, Peter Gabriel was reading her poetry at this time and and wanted to write a song that was kind of an homage to her and her writing. Um, she's a she's a poet who's most oftenly compared to Sylvia Plath, not only because of the tone of her poetry, but also because they both they both unfortunately committed suicide in very similar ways within, I think, like 10 years of each other or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful song. The the coda at the end of Anne with her father is out in the boat, riding the waves, r- riding the water, riding the waves to the sea is just so beautiful. And it's tragic. It's a tragic song. Um, and there's this wonderful like reverb on his voice. And he sings like very, very low. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's both 
kind of comforting and also disturbing on a certain level. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a beautiful song for something that is so very sad. Yeah, so uh, actually, go, ahead. go ahead, Adam. Oh, so, so it's not actually reverb, but they uh, so he's basically singing harmonies. Yes. To okay. Yes, you're right. Correct. Um, but one of the uh, vocals that he's doing, he's doing a he's doing an octave lower mm-hmm. than the other one, and apparently. He could only really do that when he first woke up. Mm-hmm. Can he could really kind of get that uh, to get that effect? But it does. It sounds really good. It sounds haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a hauntingly beautiful song. So I really appreciated um, that what he put into that. And the, his vocals stand out. It's pretty interesting the way he does it for Mercy Street. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I did remember that part of the uh, documentary where they talked about the um, the sound engineer had to basically spend the night in the <laughs> studio to prep everything so that as soon as Peter woke up. He could walk into the studio and sing that harmony yeah. cool. in the song. Um, I I was going to say, I am going to talk about that bass line, um, but that was actually not Tony Levin. It wasn't? Oh, I'm heartbroken. No. <laughs> so he, for this particular track, um, he didn't particularly like what Tony was doing. It just wasn't working for mm-hmm. him. So he brought in this other guy by the name of Larry Klein, mm-hmm. who was married to Joni Mitchell at the time. Oh. Um, and he came in and and did uh, did the the baseline, which is is very simple, mm-hmm. but it is very very pretty. Yes, and and works very very well with the song. So uh, there's a guy wailing on the triangle <laughs> <laughs> in the back of the song, completely losing it on Just the triangle, <laughs> going to town. And <clears throat> as somebody who had to play his share of of triangle excerpts <laughs> uh, in college as a as a percussion major. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the love that the triangle actually got in this song. Yeah. I mean, the song is, I mean, it sounds like it's almost entirely triangle and bass, which is <laughs> yeah. weird to think about, but it is like, it's so it's spare sounding, you know, it sounds like mm-hmm. it's just, just those things in his voice. Um, and I think that's what kind of makes it work is that it's just spare and lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Yep. And he did uh, create a, music video for this one actually it wasn't even a single but they did make a video for mercy street uh, i did watch it and it was pretty as you would kind of guess there's a lot of dark shadowy imagery a lot of underwater mm-hmm. other stuff like that it was just um i mean just to kind of go with the haunting feel of it yeah. but uh but yeah let's head on up to the next one which is called big time Big time. Again, a spiritual successor to Sledgehammer, I would say. Again, like mm-hmm. very soul, R&B, big horns. This is, uh, I would say, Peter Gabriel at his funniest on this album. It's very, uh, it's brash. It's him like acting like, like I'm rich, I'm famous, everybody <laughs> loves me. He's really playing this, playing up this character of like, 
a, a egomaniac superstar who doesn't care what anybody thinks. Um, and my favorite line is my heaven will be a big heaven and I will walk through the front door. And that's like, yeah. it's just such a good, it's just such a good fucking line. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like, it, it's so funny. And so like sharp, it's like him kind of observing what, cause so really made him huge. But at the, mm. before that, he wasn't a superstar. He like prog rock people loved him, and he had his own set of fans and that kind of thing. But he certainly was not like he wasn't a Michael Jackson or anything like that. So yeah. I feel like this song was kind of his like winking commentary about like the music industry and and fame and entertainment and that kind of thing. Um, it's great. Yeah, and we speaking of, of kind of tying it to um, uh, to Sledgehammer. Um, it's it's funny because we talk about like him not being a big you know a big name, which now we think of him as this huge name. Yeah, that was the whole reason why Dolly Parton never agreed to do yeah. it because they kind of were like, <laughs> Who's we this don't guy? know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, it was kind of interesting calling it the spiritual successor to uh, Sledgehammer, and I forgot to mention this when we talked about Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer was an afterthought. Yeah, right. It was like he he had they were literally packing up to leave after the whole album was done. He was like, oh wait, I've got this one song that I think maybe will go on the next album. Can mm-hmm. we record it real quick? And then it turned out to be his biggest hit on that album. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You sounded like you had something to say. Oh, me? Yes. Oh. Uh, mm, I mean, I always have something to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's just also a, kind of a, a testament to like, he works so slowly. He works yeah. <laughs> so slowly. Like this album took him a full calendar year. And that is the fastest he has ever written and and like composed and recorded an album. Like mm. I think Up took ten years. I think it took at oh, least geez. a decade, and there are only ten tracks on the album. And he had, I think, something like thirty-five songs that he was wor- like working on for Up, and only ten made the cut. So he he seems to compose music fairly quickly, but writing mm. lyrics seems to be really his his like issue. It, it doesn't come easily or naturally to him. So he really like like kind of overworks that part and overthinks it and that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, so it's just, it makes perfect sense that he would be like, everyone's trying to leave. Everyone's been here way longer than they were expecting to. (laughs) And he was like, Hey guys, Hey guys, Hey guys, just real quick. Could we just lay this track down for maybe the next album? I mean, I don't know. Do you have time for this or what do you think? And then it becomes the, the hugest thing ever. Yeah. I think I found a spiritual kin then in, in Peter Gray because I'm the same way. I can write mm. music pretty quickly. I can write like a – I can conceive of a song. Uh, I am just the worst when it comes to lyrics, and it takes me forever to yeah. come up with it. I'm just not a natural writer mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. it comes to words. So, But kind of ba- uh, back to, to big time. Uh, this is I, probably, in my opinion, the most danceable song. Absolutely. On this album. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is similar to Sledgehammer, but we've it's a, a slightly up tempo from there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like I can move a little bit more to this song than yeah. I think any other one on the album. Absolutely, yeah, I would agree. Yep, I uh, hit number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, John, I don't think you'd mentioned, but uh, Stuart Copeland comes back for drums on this. Ah, that's song. right. Yeah, uh, and then also it did have another music video uh, similar style to Sledgehammer with uh, stop motion and kind of claymation effects that they had on this one. But yeah, this is this is a good song. This is not like, this is not a top five Peter Gabriel for me, mm-hmm. but this should be on every person's 
you know, best of Peter Gabriel mix. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. This might be a top five for me. Okay. I really do like this song. All yeah. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's solid. I mean, you already know what I'm going to say. I, I love it. <laughs> all, of, all of them are your favorites. <laughs> They're all my favorite. They're all my precious children. I can't, I can't choose just one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to the next one, which is called We Do What We're Told, parenthetical, Milgram's 37. Yeah, so this is a weird one. Um, it originally, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if it it, it like made its way um, to the final. Yes, it did. Okay, I'm looking at my CD. Um, it's it's just like a brief interlude kind of song. It's based on. It's called Milgram Milgram's Thirty Seven because it's based on the Yale University Milgram Stanley Milgram experiment, where it's like a social psychology test where they would like have students shock other students kind of thing. And it kind of showed the, the inhumanity of man, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's dark, it's dark shit. Um, so this, uh, the song is just a chant. Like we do what we're told. We do what we're told. We're do what we're told, told to do. And then at the end, Peter comes in, in this like voice from heaven. And it's like one doubt, one voice, one life, one dream. So it's this kind of like, I always imagined it as, you know, being in, like these people are in a gulag, they're in prison, they're being, you know, they're being, they're in a work camp kind of thing. And then the Peter Gabriel voice, like this, this kind of like heaven sent person comes down and and provides hope. Um, And it's just like a brief little interlude. I think the song is... I mean, maybe a couple of minutes long. I don't even know. Yeah. It's the shortest. Three minutes, 22 seconds. Three minutes, by far yeah. the shortest. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's a very spare song. It seems to come out of nowhere. You're just like, what the hell is this? And then it just like <laughs> quickly moves on to the next track. Um, even though it's the standard, it's a standard track for like literally any other pop singer. But again, like you said, Peter Gabriel writes long songs. So this was just basically an interlude for him. Yeah. Which on that vinyl, uh, in the original vinyl, this was the end of the album. Yes. Like the mm-hmm. uh, the the next track that we'll be talking about was only added to uh, CDs and tapes, mm-hmm. and so like this this was this was the last of it, which is kind of a sad way to go. Not a sad way to go. It's just like wow, okay. Yeah, it's a real downer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, did anyone else? I totally got like Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall yes. vibes from this this song yeah. for sure. This is definitely, I'd say, besides the Laurie Anderson duet, this is probably one of the more prog rocky mm-hmm. quality songs on this album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had no problem with this song, like, like as background noise. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think if I was trying to actively listen, I might skip this one. Yeah, it's not. 
It's not a superstar on the, on the album, for sure. <laughs> it works in context with everything else. I think it kind of, like, mm-hmm. again, pulls in this kind of psychology aspect, like with um, Mercy Street, but it's not, it, it doesn't stand alone well. It's an interesting transitional song. Yes. But yeah, you couldn't pull this one out. No. All right, let's move on to the next song, which. Uh, as Adam mentioned, did not appear on the vinyl, mm-hmm. but we're talking about the CD, so we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, and it was called This Is the Picture, and parenthetical, Excellent Birds, featuring Laurie Anderson. Falling snow, excellent snow, here it comes, watch it fall. Yeah, so Laurie Anderson is a um, is a performance artist and musician. Um, she's uh, I will say, contemporary art historians love Laurie Anderson. Oh my God, they love her. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I showed my my like lack of knowledge of contemporary art <laughs> at work one day when someone was like, Oh, you know, we should get like a Laurie Anderson piece and blah blah. blah. I was like, Laurie Anderson, she's on the So album. Oh. I was like, she do it with Peter Gabriel, like, a, like an idiot, like an idiot. So, and then everyone stared at me, and then I, you know, sank through the floor and died. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great duet. It's very, it's again very prog rocky, very like experimental. It's a little winking. It has like a little bit of a sense of humor to it. It's a little nonsense poemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's fun. It's it's. You know, it's Laurie Anderson. I mean, you can't really expect too much from Laurie Anderson. It's very art rock. It's very arty, yeah. for sure. And I think, you know, that's what he wanted. He wanted that kind of, um, like, progressive Well, as we established, he's weird. Yeah, he's a weird dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this that was exactly my note, was back to some weird shit here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Gabriel likes his weird shit. He does. <laughs> that's that. exactly true. I mean, I can, I can totally see why, uh, you know, it was not included on the original vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, eh. yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, uh, we do what we're told. It, it's um, not one that mm-hmm. I would seek out, but yeah. I'm okay listening to it in the context of the, the throughway of the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, his vocals yeah. on it are really great. I mean, he he's got that beautiful tenor, right? And he's got that lovely yeah. rasp to his voice. So I'll listen to him sing almost anything. Um, but I feel like, unlike Milgram's 37, it's it's it, it showcases his singing a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Overall, I kind of, I was pretty mediocre on this one. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't particularly like it, but I didn't dislike it. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was just kind of there, mm-hmm. and I was listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can respect that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. And that brings us to our final song of the album, uh, which is In Your Eyes. All my
All right, get comfy, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Take a stretch, take a sip. No, I'm kidding. Um, No, I... This was the song that got me into Peter Gabriel, like in a in a real way that wasn't just like this is the guy that my mom listened to when she was in high school kind of thing, you know. It's I mean, I I sound like a cliche because for a very long time, like in your eyes was like everybody's friggin' wedding song, you know. <laughs> like, but it is it, there's a reason why. It's beautiful. It's romantic. It says things that the the lyrics say things that you don't hear in other love songs, you know. It, it's um it's epic, it's beautiful. There's a lot going on. There's a, a lot of African influences. There's a lot of African musicians playing on this album, this song as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this features the vocal talents of Yusona Dor, uh, who was a, an African singer and superstar in in Africa and and in Europe, and. Peter Gabriel kind of allowed him to add his own flavor to the song without kind of telling him what to do. He was like, I'm, you know, working on the song. I would love for you to kind of give me some like interpretation. And um, the album, this is, this is the one song that I feel like the live version is better than the album version. And especially the secret world live version, there is a whole, I think two verses that you don't hear in the album version that he only performs live uh, okay. with these incredibly beautiful lyrics. And uh, uh, and then there's like an extended mix of Yusan Adore singing his, his part of that song. And in the live version, the song just explodes. Like they just keep, they just keep jamming. And in the, if you see Secret World Live, the DVD uh, documentary, they just keep singing and dancing. And it's these, and he, there's African dancers and African musicians, and Yusona Dor is there. And there's Peter Gabriel in a kente cloth, like dancing with everybody, like so excited. Like, this, this is so fun. I'm dancing with my friends. And he's such a white guy. He's such like a doofy white guy. And they interviewed a couple of the, the musicians that worked with him on the song. And they were like, you know, Peter, he's, he's a, British guy and he's so nice and he's got a great smile and we like him so much but he's like dancing in front of me and you know he's a white guy dancing and I just felt like good for him like he doesn't have (laughs) any he doesn't have he's not embarrassed he doesn't have any qualms and you know what if he can just let himself go then I can let myself go on this song and so he was kind of encouraging everybody to kind of really let go and and perform the way that they wanted to perform it's just a phenomenal fucking song <laughs> and I love it it will be my favorite song until the day I die and we I did not play it at my wedding because I just wanted it for me that's that's so weird but like I want it it's my it's my song it's not my husband's and my song you know <laughs> like like the the romance of the song is so is so palpable and so beautiful mm-hmm. but also so universal too like it's just it's just a wonderful song uh, hit number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100, and then it came back uh, in 1989 mm-hmm. uh, to hit 41 during the for the Say Anything soundtrack. Yep. Obviously, we already mentioned Say Anything. This is this is the boombox song. Oh you yeah, know, the hold over your head. This is you know that. I mean, so many people have done that in real life as kind of like a cliche "I love you" kind of thing or "Come back to me" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some funny side notes. Apparently, before using the song, Cameron Crowe, uh, or Gabriel asked Cameron Crowe to send him a cut of the film. Uh, so he watched a rough cut, but, um, you know, Gabriel did approve to use it, but he told Cameron Crowe, you know, it's, he was kind of uneasy about the overdose at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Apparently what had happened uh, was the film studio sent him a, a biography on John Belushi. Yes. As, uh, <laughs> and not say anything, which is kind of funny. It's very funny. Uh, yeah. Like, can you yeah. imagine he was like, you know what? It's so polite. You know what? I was sure you can use it, but like. When he dies at the end, I thought that was maybe a little too dark. (laughs) (laughs) A little too dark. Uh, And then, obviously, because of Say Anything and just the tie that this song has with um, John Cusack, Mm. apparently in 2012 at a Hollywood Bowl concert, uh, he started the song, and then Cusack came on stage, (gasps) handed him a boombox, took a bow, and walked off. And it's just, it's super cute. I mean, Uh, I'm sure the entire audience probably lost lost their shit. Lost their minds. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, I mean, that's just something pretty interesting. I mean, they're they're obviously, they're intertwined, just a huge romantic cliche forever. Yeah, Uh, And it's great. It's so great. I mean, this song, it's one of his best, and it's probably my personal favorite uh, Peter Gabriel song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have too much to add. I mean, the the song is, is great. It is one of my favorites, probably my top three on this album. Um, maybe my top three or five of his of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I can't disagree with you there. So I don't have too much to add, and that's going to lead us into our final thoughts on the album. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. We're going to let Lauren have the last word on this one. <laughs> Sounds good because it'll be a long word, and that's <laughs> totally you know, okay. you know what's going to happen. <laughs> but I'll try and go fast. This is um, a wonderful album. I really enjoyed listening to it, um, especially because. We didn't listen to the album when I was younger. I really mm-hmm. wasn't sure what was going to be on it. But once I saw the track list, it's like, oh, I know this song. I know that song. Yeah. I know so many of these. Um, and then the only ones that I didn't really know were the ones I didn't love, mm-hmm. uh, which, he, you know, this is the picture and um, the Milgram's 37. Uh, but besides that, I will be listening to all of those other songs, you know, on a regular Gabriel rotation. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, shit, it's got two of my top three Gabriel songs, which are Sledgehammer and In Your Eyes, and then the other one being Salisbury Hill for me. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. not even just that. Like, there's so many other there's so many other songs that Peter Gabriel has that people don't know about yeah. other than his big ones. Go check him out. He is an innovator. Absolutely. He takes risks with his music, and he's a true artist. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely fantastic. So highly, highly recommend this album. Yeah, well said, Adam. It's going to be kind of hard to, to follow that. Um, I, this again, I think it's a it's a great album from from uh, from top to bottom. It's a good one to listen to all the way through. Yeah, you're gonna have some ones maybe you don't know, maybe they just kind of background noise. But you know what? You're not gonna be mad at that background noise. No. It's not gonna make nothing on the songs are gonna make you want to turn it off. Yeah. Um, he keeps a, a pretty consistent tone throughout the whole album, which I think helps uh, in this case. And yeah, there are so so many just incredible songs on this album. It's you know, at, at that point, you might as well just listen to the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is my favorite album of all time. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, listen to it with headphones. It, there's so much There's so much in everything. I mean, every time I listen to this album, I get something different out of it, even though I know, like, every lyric and every, like, intake of breath. <laughs> I, know it, I know it too well. Um, it was so formative for me as a music lover, as a teenager, for sure. Um, it really kind of helped cement like what my taste is for music. And it just, 
it's kind of timeless. Like you think about something that was released in, in 1986 and you'd think there would be some, some more like eighties kind of quality to it, something that dates it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's really like the majority of the album is really timeless. You can listen to it at any time and you really wouldn't know, you know, what, you know, what time period of modern music it came from. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just top to bottom, left to right, a great album. Definitely check out the live version of In Your Eyes. It's so beautiful, and um, it really gives you an extra like layer to that song as a whole and also gives you kind of a deeper understanding of like the musicality of that song. It's just a wonderful... I mean, also, not for nothing, it's a great pop record. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be like, you know, an, a music academic to enjoy this album. It's just like really good and singable and, you know, danceable and... It's just a good pop record with really great lyrics. So I'll leave it at that. But favorite album. Yep. 100%. Cool. <laughs> totally agree. Well, Lauren, thank you so much oh. for doing this. We really appreciate it. I had such thank a you. fun time talking this album with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I will always come on and talk about anything. <laughs> Uh, frankly that's something that I know about I mean even stuff I don't know about I'll do some quick research and then we can talk about it (laughs) this was wonderful thank you so much for having me on and letting me just kind of like uh like spew my like excessive love for Peter Gabriel on the show uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find us, uh, Misinformation, colon, a trivia podcast. We are available on Google Play. We're available on Apple Podcasts. We have a website, www.misinfopod.com. We are on Twitter, at Misinfopod. And we have a Facebook page, Misinformation, colon, a trivia podcast. Check us out. I think, we, I think we're pretty good. <laughs> that's two words, right? M-I-S-S. Yes. Space mis- information. Information. Yep. And if All anybody right. wants to hear uh, Lauren and Julia go head to head in probably the most cordial episode of Throwback <laughs> Trivia Takedown ever, we were literally uh, just talking about that. Like we cannot, <laughs> we cannot be against each other on trivia shows yeah. because we always celebrate each other's wins. We're always like, "Yay! Oh my yeah. gosh, good job!" Like, we're so yeah. bad at it. It was probably like, "Come on, guys, we need you to be a little bit more competitive with each other." <laughs> it was interesting, <laughs> but Thanks. fun. Yeah, it was fun. fun. Oh, yes, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right, that was our review of the album So by Peter Gabriel. Please join us next time as we're joined by lawyer extraordinaire Jody Sellers to break down the 1994 movie Dumb and Dumber, uh, discuss the TV series WCW Nitro, and recast Dumb and Dumber using actors of today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Love.
la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.